Did it without headphones? Does that mean he's more focused of a man or what? I don't know if he's more focused of a man. <laughs> but, you know, maybe he has just some skill and ability and knowledge and it just kind of knows how to do it. I have no idea. I'd like to see a documentary on that particular podcast, how they set it up and how they got all the neighbors and stuff and, and whatnot. You know what's weird is you would think that they would do... Have you ever watched his show, Marin, on IFC? Oh, I love Marin. That's a great show, yeah, right? I love it. You would think they would have done some kind of like special episode around it but i guess maybe getting the president on a tv show on ifc is not the easiest thing in the yeah, world Yeah, exactly i have I such the biggest crush on that one girl uh the one that kind of uh, met him in the comedy festival and dated him and then came back to la to move oh from season two? Oh, she's so young though is she young in real life no, but like on the show compared uh, well, to Marin. Oh, well, he's old. Yeah, that's, that's how, true. How old is old? How old is Marin? I think he's like 54 or 55 or something. But he, he does, he, he has a youthful life, but his face is you know, kind of like he's had some hard times. Have you had hard times? Yeah, no, but not. Let's talk about those hard times. Welcome to the October 2015 3 and 2 and 1 podcast, live from my garage in Old Town Orange with my co-host Ezra the Dog who is right now chewing on something down by my feet, something you probably bought him, David? Uh, rawhide. That's not my... I, I, I bought him uh, bacon treats. You brought him bacon treats? Yes. So our guest this month is my good friend, David Layden, otherwise known as Fairbrook, on just about every form of social media possible. Isn't that right? No, I'm not a social media hipster. I've got Facebook and I've got Twitter, but I don't have... Yeah, I have Instagram. God damn it. Yeah, 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 maybe. Yeah, I'm yeah. that guy. I'm him. Why do you use Fairbrook as your handle for everything? Because I live on Fairbrook Lane. Yeah, but there has to be something else, right? What? What do you mean? I don't know. It's just—it's like a fitting name for you for some reason. I picked it because it seems a little boring, and I, I find myself a little boring, but in a comfortable way. Not not bad. You know, it's Fairbrook. Who's comfortable with you being boring? I am. You are? Yeah. That's satisfactory to you? Yeah. Yeah. How come? Because boring... Boring is not always bad. You see people, especially teenagers, oh, I'm bored, I'm bored, you know, but read a damn book, you know. You won't be bored. You like you to read books, right? Love to read books. Yeah, so on the show today, we are going to talk a little bit about that. What else are we going to talk about today? Um, uh, depression. Depression? Hard times. Hard times. <laughs> uh, probably talk about music, books. Yeah. Be beard's going to be discussed. I think it's going to make a, an appearance for sure. <clears throat> you're you're about to crack open a beer right now, aren't you? Yes. What is that exactly? This is Steel Reserve 211, uh, 8.1% malt liquor. The best bang for your buck. It's about two bucks for this tall can. Why do you need any bang whatsoever? We're recording a podcast. I don't need a bang. I'm just thirsty. You're just thirsty, so instead of water, you're having high-gravity malt liquor lager? Well, water's good, but this will make me more boring, which is good. <laughs> Why were you nervous to be on the show today? I f because I feel boring in a bad way, like I don't have anything to talk about. Uh, shit, you know, get me off microphone and I'll talk your ear off about stupid things. But it's kind of like, I don't know, if I had a list of questions, I'll answer them and I can digress. But here it makes me feel like I'm on stage. I mean, not on stage. I mean, you're on a microphone and it's a, it's orchestrated in terms of we're starting at this time, we're doing the show, we're going to talk about these things. But I don't know. I just, I get my heart is quicker and... Um, I don't know. So, 
How long how long have you been like obsessing about this? I think ever since you mentioned having me before you even started the podcast, I thought, oh Christ, there's gonna be a day when I'm gonna be in this chair on the microphone and uh that day is now, but it doesn't feel like it started yet. Does it feel are you reluctant? It was it hasn't it doesn't feel like it started yet? No, it doesn't. What do you mean? I, I mean we're recording right now. Well you say that, but I don't know. I think you may be fooling with me. Well go go ahead. <laughs> What, um, so what's the reluctance then to do it? It's, I guess it's how you come off. Uh, you come off sounding like a dumbass or someone that's very uninteresting or somewhere, someone that doesn't have anything to offer in the way of advice. I don't know. But <laughs> your job's not to offer advice. My job's not to offer advice either. It's just to have a conversation. Well, I, I don't, um, what, hey, what is my job? I'm unemployed. Tell me. I'm unemployed. Yeah. What was the last job you had? Last job I had, I was a respite care provider for uh, a teenager, a young adult with autism. Yeah. Yep, that was my last job. Before that, I was a special education teacher. How long ago did you have the job, the respite job? <sighs> I've been unemployed for about four years. So before that, for five years, I was the, I was the respite uh, provider. Talk to me about that a little bit. I was an overnight person, um, but I also did crisis intervention cases for the more violent kids. Um, but this, this kid, he had uh, behavioral disorders, and he had certain tics. He couldn't, um, he couldn't deal with the word no. So whenever you said the word no around him, he'd try and hit you, and he'd scream a little. He was nonverbal. What I would do is I'd go over to his, his uh, apartment. He lived by himself, but with someone always there. And I'd cook his meals and uh, tell him to get in the bath. And then, you know, we'd watch TV together and we'd play games. How old was he? Uh, he is, man, I, I, w- I want to say he's probably 22 right now. <clears throat> 22, I think. He works at Del Taco now with, the, with his care provider along with him. Really? Which is cool because Del Taco was his favorite uh, place to go. Do you feel like you had any role of getting him to a place where he could like go out and function in that way? Yes, I was before I was his care provider, I was his teacher. Um and so did a lot of work on social integration and he w- he was nonverbal, so did a lot of work with picture exchange and basic sign language and stuff like that and to be able to get him without throwing shoes and stuff at people i uh, uh, my team and i people at at school had a lot to do with that and especially his other his other caregiver had a lot to do with it too so and i think his other caregiver is still with him now what what happened with the job uh they called me up one day when i was in the supermarket and said uh we you were falsifying some your documents for time something, and we no longer need your services. I go, what the hell? And I go, I you know we need to talk about that. I go, no, we're a right to work state or whatever the hell it is, and so we don't have to. I don't know. It, it was lame, and I didn't fight it because I got unemployment. Did you develop a bond with the child? Definitely, definitely. I, I think about him all the time. I got you know this Thomas the Tank Engine tattoo because of him. That was his favorite. Uh, that was his favorite. Uh, cartoon or whatnot. So why'd you get a tattoo on your arm? So it's a tattoo on your forearm. Mm -hmm. That's about four inches probably Mm -hmm. of Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. It's actually from Thomas the Tank Engine. It's, um, oh God, what's his name? It's It's George? No, no, there's another one. uh, Yeah, it's blue like Thomas. Yeah, Um, um, but he's supposed to be the older, more patient, learned 
tank engine, and I like that more than the other frivolous ones. The frivolous? Well, the mean ones and the ones that don't add much to it. There are some mean, really mean trains in Thomas the Tank Engine. They're there pretty is. rude sometimes. They are. They yeah. play pranks and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So how did what? What's the connection between the tattoo and the boy you were assisting? He would watch Thomas the Tank Engine nonstop if we let him, and he had this tick uh, or stimming is what you call it, so social stimulating behavior, where he would rewind certain seconds and play him over and over and over and over and over and jump up and down and flap his arms. And to him, that was, I don't know, getting off some of, letting loose some of his electricity, his nervousness. So what did getting the tattoo do exactly? For me? No, for him. Did it comfort him in some way or Uh, is it just a way for you to remember him? It's, I got it, uh, several years before I stopped working there. And, um, he liked it. He, I'd, I'd, I'd ask him, he'll, where, where's, where's Henry, or Henry? Uh, where's the, where's the train? And he'd run up and hold my arm and tap it. And that was his way of just, I don't know. And how old was he at the time? I mean, four years ago is when you got let go. If he's twenty-two now, eighteen. Yeah, I knew him from fifteen on. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I got the tattoo done in San Francisco. So when you, so how has that affected you in terms of, because you haven't been employed since then. Nope. So was that, would you, I mean, was this like the separation from the job or from the child? Was that, and I guess he was really an adult by the time you had kind of separate parted ways, right? Or close to an adult. He was an adult age wise, but um, he was developmentally. Yeah. Not, not at his age. Right. Yeah. But. I miss him a lot. I still do. I, I miss his mother. And uh, the, we'd hang out and I'd go to San Diego with them and watch him while the mother and they have fun and whatnot. And I went to, with them to Laughlin and got him on a, a, a ski, uh-huh. do something like that. That was something else. That's cool. Yeah. It was it was very nice. Very nice. <clears throat> what um, do you, you said you, you miss him. Do you miss doing the job and everything else? I miss him. I miss the job. I miss working with uh, 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 people with developmental disabilities because I found out I had a knack for it, and I've done it for a, quite a while, went to school for it, and I, I read up on disability topics and whatnot, and I keep, you know, I keep it in my head. Something I'd like to go back to do. Why are you attracted to that work, you think? You know, I'm not sure. It's just something that, I tried and I liked it and I was equal to the task. It feels nice to be able to do something. It feels nice to be good at something. And you think you're good at it? Yeah. 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 So four years ago is when you lost it. So how do we know each other? I always ask all the guests that. But do you remember how we met? We met on the back porch of Provisions in the Orange Circle. Uh-huh. Uh, you were sitting down reading a book about bicycling. <laughs> Probably. And I don't remember what book it was. But you were yeah. drinking a beer, and I sat at a table kind of across, and I was reading a book and drinking a beer, and we kind of looked at each other and nodded, and I, I asked what you were drinking, and you asked what I was reading or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah, that's the history. And then do you remember how the conversation went after that? Probably talked about beers and books, I, I think. Do you remember more? Yeah, well, there was specifically, we, was, we were drinking like rare varieties of... Oh, coffee stout. Yeah, Banana Foster's Black Tuesday. Oh, Black Tuesday, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. 
It was interesting. It was it's pretty happenstance-ish for us to meet on that back patio that day because it was like the middle of a Wednesday or something, I think. Yeah. And like I would, I took like I just knocked off work early and went down there and like you had I, your bike sitting on the, on the left hand side. Yeah, I rode my track bike down there. I remember. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. What um. So that even back then, I don't know what year that was that we met. I think it was probably like three years ago or so. Uh, I'm not good with time. Maybe 2012. So yeah, three years ago. Yeah. Because I think I was working at the school for the homeless kids at the same time. Huh. You don't remember? No, I don't remember that. What? Um. So you were unemployed then. I'm unemployed now. So what's kept you from working? Just curious. Oh man. You know what? I, uh, this is weird. I, I've been depressed for, I want to say, since my grandfather died. When was that? In 2001. Okay. Uh, he was a big part of my life and kind of an odd love-hate relationship with him. And I don't know. I, damn, it's been a long time. You know, I, I went to the doctors and got on um, antidepressants and stuck with it all this time and I'm still on them. I, I tried quitting before and it was horrible. You just sit there and you sweat and you hate yourself. It, it's even, even worse than being depressed beforehand. And the pills don't make me happy. They just make me not horribly sad. I don't sit and stare at things anymore. Well, the problem was when I was taking the pills, I was also drinking a lot, drinking a lot of beer, a lot of whiskey. And that kind of counteracted the effects I wasn't horribly sad, but anytime you're drinking beer and whiskey every single day for several years straight, you're pushing off everything else in life. You can't get your head straight. I uh, never got my head straight, you know. It's, it's a little better now because I'm actually looking for a job. Uh, it's, but those, those, lost, those years lost to alcoholism and depression, I'll never get it back. I, God, it, bu- it bugs me. It's like you take years and years. I don't know how many years it's been, but I could have learned languages. I could have learned the guitar. I think of things I could have done. I could have finished my credential, but there was just something keeping me, and I don't know what it was. So you you consider yourself an alcoholic then? Yeah. Functioning or? Uh, I'm functioning. Bare- well, I don't want to say barely. I, you know, I don't want to shit on anybody anybody else's uh, uh uh, idea of al- alcoholism I'm not the worst I'm not the best I just I can hold down a job I just recently stopped drinking for a week and that was no big deal like it, it shouldn't be I thought my body would say fuck you and put me in some kind of a weird I don't know if you if you drink every day uh, for several years usually and you quit your body usually gives you uh, issues but yeah i just quit for only a week and i had no issues sweat a little bit but that was it was your goal a week or was your goal longer or did you just do it on a lark and see how long you could go or i didn't have a goal and i told myself i'm not quitting uh because i i hate i hate doing that i hate saying oh you're it's my resolution I'm, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and i'm and i and i never do it so i just stopped making goals i know it sounds sad i'm i don't make goals for myself i just when I feel like trying, I'll try. But I haven't felt like trying anything in a long time. You know, that's on Bukowski's uh, headstone, right? It says, don't try. Don't try, yeah. 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 My friend uh, who also rides bikes, he took a picture of uh, him near the heads or the, the headstone or something. Yeah, it's in San Pedro. Yeah. Yep, yep. 
So let's go back a little bit. I have a question. So talk, talk to me a little bit about your grandfather. Because you said that relationship was kind of tumultuous. I've heard you talk about him a few times, like as friend, you know, in our friendship. But he, I want to say, um, well, from a distance, I can say he was a great man. Um, I know, I know, he was a really good human because he took care of a lot of people in his life. Um, he was really um, he he made a lot of money. He was a superior court judge. So he made a lot of money. He hmm. was, he was in the the army, and then he went went to US, UCLA and USC. He was in the FBI for a while, and wow. um, so and he knew his history very well. Uh, he was just a, a very nice guy. He supported people financially and emotionally, but I don't know. With it was kind of with him. I was kind of a, a teenager. I, I lived with him for a, a lot of my life. My mom and I lived in his house. <clears throat> and he would, you know, give me money for mowing the lawn and stuff like that. And uh, he'd do, do, do things like take my, my cousin and I out and he would buy her stuff and wouldn't buy me things and he'd tease me about it. Uh, a lot of... That's kind of weird. I was under his thumb because of he he'd give me a lot of money, especially when I went away to college. Yeah, and he was he was it was always weird um, when he started getting a little bit of uh, Alzheimer's. He'd uh-huh. do things like send me a. I told him like I got straight A's this semester. He said he's going to send me a, a check for sixty bucks to get a nice steak, but he sent me a, a check for six thousand. Just really odd hmm. things. Yeah, but. I depended on him for a lot and I don't know. What's I, a big reason you depended on him, you think? <sighs> he was just always in my life. But someone wasn't, right? Oh, well, you could say he was a replacement father because I never knew right. my father. Um, never had a... He was my father figure. Yeah. But it was weird to have a father figure that would kind of hold money over my head. Yeah. Kind of like that, but I was an asshole to him. He was an asshole to me, and of course, now given the distance and him not being here, I say I regret anything I've ever done wrong to him, teased him, or your grandfather. Yeah, you teased him. Well, we would call each other names and stuff, and he'd—I could tell—I could set off his buttons and push him and make him upset. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's what grandkids do to grandparents. Yeah, I do, but it got—you know. We, uh, it got kind of cruel when you're older and you're still doing stuff like that. And um, I was I was there when he had his stroke at home that sent him to the hospital. And six days later, he passed away. And, you know, the doctors called and said, get down to the hospital quick. We can tell he's going. And by the oh. time we got there, he had already passed kind of thing. There's a lot to unpack with you. You know that? Yeah. People told me that. Along with taking the meds, I should see a, a psych or something like that. I just never did. Do I, you see a therapist? No, that's what I meant. That's what a you ther- mean. Okay, I thought you meant a psychiatrist. But I never, I never have. I, w- I wouldn't mind it, but uh, that's another thing where, besides being depressed, I'm also very lazy. Very lazy. <laughs> and the two, when they come together, are probably not real, pro- not really a recipe for no. getting anything and, and, productive. And, and when I get, when, when I get like. I get depressed and I get sad, and then sometimes when I wake up in the morning, I go, "This is a good morning. The weather's nice. You know what? 
wow, I'm going to actually maybe mow the lawn I haven't done in four months or something. And then I get up and I go to the uh, fridge and get a couple beers and go in the bathroom and vanish that thought. I kind of like, I have to subdue my nervousness, my happiness, it feels, because it's like, if you're happy, then you might eventually find some kind of success. And if you find some kind of success, then your life changes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm uh, afraid to change. Are you afraid of like the responsibility that comes with like having some kind of success? I am, but I've had responsibility before and I thrived on it. Um, anytime I've taken any classes uh, in college and whatnot, I've thrived in a group setting. I've always taken the lead and I'm, I'm good at that. When I was a teacher, I had uh, 13 students and seven aides and I thrived in that environment and I took care of things. Yeah. I, I was equal to the task. So what changed? Because I don't, I don't believe it was just your grandfather dying back in 2001, of all things. I mean... That... Who knows? I mean, it, that's what I can trace to but that's when I started taking... that's a long time ago, right? Yeah, that's when I started taking the, the antidepressants. Yeah. But you've held jobs since then. I mean, it's only been four years ago that you, know, you lost your job. Then. Yeah. Well, uh, my job at respite care providing was very sedentary. I didn't really do much i wasn't right. in the classroom oh my god there was violence everywhere there was there was chasing after kids there was you know teaching in group settings right. and learning this and that and being part of the meetings with the with the parents and whatnot and i felt i felt like i was doing an adult you know so the difference i guess the respite thing was just you one-on-one with one child one thing to be responsible for yeah is that fair to say yeah this is a question off topic. Yeah. I thought of it before, and I wanted to ask you about one of your tattoos. Okay. Okay. You've got a tattoo somewhere on your leg or something like that, and it's like a cross, and it looks very geometric. And it's a cross. Like, it's like that and that. It's a symbol for something. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's your body. Well, <laughs> you're right, it is. This thing? No, it's geometric. It looks like... You can give me a pen, I can draw it. I don't have anything geometric on yeah, my body. You do. What are you talking about? It's like this. He's actually drawing on, in on the inside of a book right now. Oh, you are talking about the four F's for Jawbreaker. It's for a band. Oh, a punk band. It, well, Jawbreaker, I wouldn't really classify Jawbreaker as a punk band, oh. but yeah, it's the logo for the band Jawbreaker. I did not know that, but, but I thought of you the other day because a friend of mine who's really into Jawbreaker posted something about them. Oh, really? Yeah, he's a... Are you familiar with that magazine, Giant Robot? Oh, yeah. Okay. He came down, the guy from Jawbreaker came down and did a live reading and... Yeah. 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 But the magazine is no longer, but... um, It's not? No. So it's just the store in LA or whatever? It's a store in LA. Yeah. uh, The two stores in LA on, Sawtell on different... um, There... Oh, what's this? Eric Nakamura, Nakamura and okay. Martin Wong, uh, the the owners, mm-hmm. they they're throwing a Biennale uh, in L.A. right now. Uh, it's like the third or fourth uh, uh, giant robot Biennale. Okay. So you go and it has all the stuff, and that's where I met a lot of my friends uh, on Giant Robot uh, forums, which is no longer long live Giant Robot. Um, but I met a lot of good people through that. So Jawbreaker, yeah. So. <laughs> enough. That's enough talk about punk. Jesus, it's they're not really a punk band though. How are they not punk? I've never, I've never actually heard them. Right, so that might that might be helpful. Um, no, it's um, uh, you know, Jawbreaker was their own thing. Jawbreaker was a band that obviously had a lot of influences in punk, but I mean, 
they had a lot of influences in sort of just general indie rock and can you compare of, them to anything that i might know depeche, no depeche mode no probably are they not, depeche mode probably not much oh. like depeche mode actually i'm kidding um uh, jawbreaker you know you like a lot of different music though don't you uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. Every time you come to my house, you bring albums. Well, I brought I brought some this time. I know. You know, it's funny. You, you have this this thing about depression, and I will tell you that I just to tie that up. The four F logo is um, this guy Fredwick, Frederick Luguin Jan. He is like the founder of gymnastics. Made it up. It means uh, hearty, God fearing, cheerful, and free. So yeah, uh, just, that's uh, not bad. Yeah. So, anyways, just thought I'd tie that up for anyone that was wondering what the hell you were talking about. But yeah, it's four F's and the and the German words. I don't know what the German words are, but they're four German F words. And the tattoo that says "Ale Ale" that means "Let's go, let's go." <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. That's more like a cycling thing. Sometimes I need to be reminded to get my shit together. <clears throat> and uh, the last one that I actually saw in person for the first time today was the the the, the train you have. The train. Oh, yeah. for my son. Yeah. You've seen that before. I, I I haven't looked. I saw it online. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't looked. I'm not doing very well speaking into the microphone. I keep going to the left. Actually, you're doing fine. I'm watching the levels, and you're actually doing quite well. Okay. Yeah. Testies. Um. <laughs> so, uh, you know, despite it's funny, despite all of your talk about, and I mean, we both have our issues with depression that we've talked about and stuff. Um. Like my wife says, like you're one of the best people. Like you're you. She likes you when you come over. Like she's glad you and I are friends. Really? Yeah. And I I feel the same way. But I just think it's interesting because like I know you a little bit now through a few years of kind of talking to you and stuff. And like I just know you're a solid person, right? Like I think really highly of you. Well, thank it, you and thank her. You know, I I don't know why I always kind of got got the impression that. <sighs> I don't know, your wife seemed a little standoffish, or maybe that's, I don't know. I, I always thought that sometimes when I when I come over, I, I, I was staying too late or being too loud or no, something. No, it's kind of the opposite, actually. Like, everyone really, like, enjoys your company. Well, thank you. That's yeah. that's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I know, it's, it's just, it's interesting, because for a guy that's, you know, has some demons, right? It's, you always come over, you're always bearing gifts, you're always great with everybody, you're always great with my kids and everything, yeah. and... I always, I always think to myself, like, I wish, I wish that somehow translated into David could do the things he needs to do to, you know, get the job and, you know, start kind of getting things kind of rolling in the right direction for yourself again. Well, like the Morrissey song, I know it's going to happen someday, but I never, I don't know. I, I have no timeline. I wish I did. And I don't know. It's, it's nice. It's nice coming over here because I, I like to see a working relationship. Yeah. A relationship that, that I don't know. Like, yeah, two nights ago we had the single biggest fight we've ever had in 18 years of dating and being married. Did it? Was it over something stupid? I mean, yes and no. Um, I mean, I think there's like a bigger issue that, that, was, yeah. that was going on there, you know, that um, it was over s- small things, like as far as comments go and stuff, uh. but it blows up into something big because there's underlying things, you know? But I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you say that, but I also say, you know, it's rela- all relationships have the same. They must. You know, when, when I heard a while back, um, less than a month ago, you had mentioned something about being depressed uh, and I go... I know that's a stupid thing for me to go. I'm thinking, David depressed. He's got a wife. He's got great kids. You know, he's got Ezra, and you know, <laughs> I do have Ezra. He seems, he seems 
to be what can it be and then i then i said well maybe depression is another thing we have in common yeah i think and if this was my podcast i'd be asking you more about about your depression i mean i'm i know you have re i know you have reasons but is there anything you want to go into i mean i think for me well i think a couple things so for me and i appreciate you know you taking interest or like knowing (laughs) kind of sense of what's going on or what I mean I've been pretty vocal about some of the stuff I was going through in the summer summer was really hard for me and so I think like there's a few things I mean I think number one there's the fact that you know my mom was clinically depressed her entire life and never dealt with it yeah and it was something that I could see really early on as a kid yeah it's something that really manifested itself after my parents got divorced yeah so um you know I think I, you know, and I don't know if like observing that has, you know, what kind of effect that has on a kid's brain <laughs> as I grow up, you know, kind of seeing myself follow into some it, of the it same patterns. It has the effect that yeah. much later you, yeah. it'll hit you mm-hmm. much later. When you're a kid, you watch it and you see it and you internalize it. And then when you have the tools to not deal with it or deal with it or recognize it, when you're an adult, it smacks you in the face. Yeah. No, it's true. Blind, and then blindside you. No, it totally does. And then I mean, there's just certain triggers, right? Like after that, I mean, it's you know, it, in the summer, realizing that you know, well, number one, I hadn't, I have, I've still to this day not dealt with my mother's death really appropriately. I mean, I, I internal. I mean, I had great support from family and yeah. you know, friends around and stuff like that. But you know, the truth is, is like. You know, you got to process stuff like that. And work yeah, they it. say you got to file. You got to follow the five or seven stages of grief or whatever it yeah. is. But life has its own plan. Yeah. I mean, change jobs again for me. You know, I was I was going through hell at the job I was at. Um, then change jobs, and then just dealing with you know being a parent of young kids and everything else. You know, yeah. grad school, everything. It's not easy. You, uh, from what I remember, breathed a pretty big sigh of relief when you uh, finally uh, got your master's. Yeah, and things were okay for a while. Well, that was well. That's the thing. I don't even feel like I celebrated that because that was in the middle of summer when I was kind of melting down over uh, stuff. So yeah. it was kind of like, well. That's you know. another thing I remember. What's up? Around the time that I met you, I met you when your mama was sick and in the hospital. Are you sure I about believe, that? I believe, from what I remember, your mama was in a hospital, and then um, you posted pictures of her with the kids and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and then it wasn't too long after I met you that she had passed away. And it wasn't too long after that that you would refuse to leave the house, but you actually came out to Hollingshead to hang out with me. Yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes for sure. Or <laughs> how it went for me, at least. I mean, you know, we're going to do an entire episode about my mom in December, I think, with my brother, but, uh, you got to brew that beer again for her. Yeah. Was it the cantaloupe beer? Yeah. Yeah. The cantaloupe beer. That was beer. some good stuff. But you know, it's um, you, the only thing. It's 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 funny. You don't. It's not fun. None of it's funny. But it's interesting in that you don't know how you're going to deal with all of it until it happens, right? And then you realize that like there's a select group of people who have lost parents at a young age that can relate to something like that, you know, yeah. and, and can say, you know, yeah, I know, because my mom was 57. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. In 2015, or well, it was 2013 when she died, but. I mean, that's that's remarkably young yeah. in modern medicine to have people, you know, dying of stage four cancer after being diagnosed just a couple months earlier. And that's the other thing for me. I mean, for me, a lot of it is that my mom was effectively sick as fuck 
in July of that year, like July 4th at a July 4th party at my in-laws is when we really knew something was wrong with her gets diagnosed later that month. My dog dies. I'm in DC and I find out my mom's got cancer or I well, she had her doctor's appointment. Then I came back, but we knew at that point. So it's, I was in DC for work. I just put my dog down. My mom was like, we were waiting for results. It was like all this shit was happening all at once. Yeah. Come back, deal with that. Middle of August, we find out it's terminal cancer. There's absolutely nothing we can do about it except try to prolong her life with surgery. But when all that was happening, yeah. you were on point. You had your job. You had family. Yeah. You were strong as fuck. You, you were really taking care of business for everyone, it seemed. And it's not until you got some distance now that depression punches right in the face. Yeah, it did. It does. And I, and I can't, and I, well, no, you're right. And I can't like single, I can't single out the whole as, as (laughs) you get more treats for Ezra. It's awesome. David brought Fairbrook actually brought a bunch of treats for Ezra. He loves Ezra. Or boy. (laughs) He doesn't know if he's a girl or a boy, but she, she peed on me with her penis. So, (laughs) so, I mean, you know, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, this last summer, you know, a year and a half after the fact, I kind of just got smacked in the face with the reality of, oh my God, I'm almost 40 years old. This is my life. It's the same thing every day. It doesn't change. And I mean, some of that's founded and some of it's not. I mean, that's the case. So depression manifests itself in you in being non-productive or? I don't know. Yeah, probably. I mean, like, I get real salty. Like, I get really, like, withdrawn. Pissy. and Yeah. So, like, a week ago, I was thinking about it. Like, I was kind of not feeling good again. Because the last month or so, I've been pretty all right like i've been i've been feeling pretty solid i've been much more productive at work i've been feeling like okay you know what i mean like like stable like not great not real low just kind of stable right and i'm not on any drugs i've I've kind of been putting off putting off putting off going to see my 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 regular yeah you're shaking your head yes that's something we can talk about yeah yeah. well i've just been putting off going to see my gp because i know that's going to be a topic and my therapist has said, hey, you should try, you know, maybe get on some Lexapro or something. And I'm like, I don't really want to. You know, I want to avoid that as long as yeah. I possibly can. But anyway, so I've been feeling pretty good. And then last week, I got super sick last week. I had the flu. That's why I kind of sound like crap or I'm a little yeah, low energy. Yeah, you got sick before one of your races, right? Yeah, no, during one of my races. Uh. Yeah, I had the shivers like during my race last week. Yeah, it sucked. Um, and then... Um, you know, I was I was kind of just sitting around thinking about it, going, God, I feel like I'm slipping back into this. And I felt like I was getting withdrawn already. Like, it's like your hand becomes a closed fist, right? Like, you just yeah. n- not answering texts, not, yep, not yep. going to do this, just not going to talk to people, just going to be David at home with the kids and then nothing else. I've always done that because I, I've, withdrawn, I've withdrawn from a lot of my friends, and then a lot of my friends have withdrawn from me, and I can only conjecture. The reason I've withdrawn from them is because I have no money to go out Though I have friends that will buy me beer, which is nice, but I don't want to visit my depression on them. I don't want to be a bummer. I don't want to go to someone's house where everyone's having fun and be this suck magnet, just suck all the joy out of things. And I feel that that's how I am often. I would. I mean, that's that's a lot to put on yourself to think that you're sucking the joy out of things. I don't, yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. I. That's what depression does. It, it depression for you, for me. It it often lies to you, makes you think feel things you're not. But I I do feel like <laughs> like a black hole. Like I suck every shitty thing, spit it out worse than it was before. 
See us like I think we could, you know, I could comfortably have you over on a more regular basis and hang out with you. And then I always get kind of caught up in this idea of like, well, David withdraws, right? David, you being you, not me, with is with could withdraw, right, and yeah. and opt not to come over because of those feelings, which I kind of have a feeling. I I, I kind of know like that's sort of what's going on with you. Like I had that sense, you know, yeah. that you you have that feeling of not wanting to impose on people with your shit which I totally get. But at the same time, I'm kind of thinking, well, except that if he comes over and hangs out and has a good time, it'll make me happier. And right. it does. In the early part of our relationship, uh, we, I would pull that shit. Like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. I pull that a lot with you. And it, yeah. and, it, and, it, and it bugged me because you're, you're a good guy. And I always have a good time over here. That time when we invited me over for the Super Bowl and we didn't watch the Super Bowl, yeah. played games. That <laughs> yeah. was fun. That was great. But, you know, I, and I didn't, I didn't have time to sit there and go. I'm a horrible person. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not doing anything with my life because I was having a good time just doing guy stuff. There's a big difference between being a horrible person and not doing anything with your life. Like you're not a, you are like a really good person. Okay, let's say, let's say you have someone who's a good person. But he's not doing anything with his life. Isn't that a crime in itself? I mean, I, it doesn't. It doesn't make you a prick. It just makes you a zero. Maybe <laughs> you're a good person, sure, but do something. I mean, ineffective. I guess I don't know. Like, Ineffect, ineffectual. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. But I mean, but that's better than having a negative effect. I think a lot of the time. A lot of times, I, I feel like I'm, I mean, you could be beating up your mom or something. You know, doing <laughs> that kind of stuff. I feel prickish often because sometimes when I get upset, I take it on. If I get upset. And I, and I take it out on other people, then I find myself withdrawing from other people because I, w- I don't want to take it out on people. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to. So that's, to me, that's kind of the sign of a person that's not a dick, though, is that. Okay, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I could say, hey, fuck it, you know, I'm going to be right. here, I'm going to ruin your party. Yeah. Right. Well, or you could just, like, not, and not be purposeful about it, but just say, I'm not even going to be self monitoring. You know what I mean? I'm not going to, like, kind of watch yeah. my own behavior. I'm just going to kind of do my thing and if people don't like it fuck them but you don't do that uh you know a lot a lot of this stuff is weird i uh i've I've colored myself already to be this shade of whatever and i don't i'm not objective i don't i don't look outside myself and stuff i uh you know my mom said oh you're uh, you went to college you got yourself a couple degrees that means something yeah but uh, i'm not doing anything with it and that's that's what i feel i need to do yeah. One one summer, I what do you call that? I volunteered at the Blind Children's <laughs> Learning Center, and it was great. Uh, I'm thinking all this time I've been doing nothing but drinking beer, and taking dumps and nothing else. I could have done so many selfless things. Yeah, but like, can you really worry about that now? No, because it's moot. I, right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so if you obsess about that stuff, it's going to do two things. It's going to make it harder for you to get progress with your life like yes. you want and it's also going to exacerbate your depression yes i'm good at exacerbating That's, <laughs> I'm, I'm really i'm really good at that you're an exacerbator <sighs> so i heard you like jazz music yeah i do so you want to talk about jazz sure 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 so sure. what do you what do you remember is your first experience with jazz uh billy holiday yeah. um i think it was <laughs> i cover the waterfront um really yeah that was probably one of the first early ones I heard, and it, you know, it's not really early for her. It's kind of middle to mid period. Yeah. Um, I've always adored her. 
because she seems like a tragic character. Mm-hmm. All the all the stuff she went through, the racism, the drugs, the poured it all into her art. But you can, and it's weird when you hear her on several known recordings where, where people knew she was on drugs and, and drunk as hell singing. It's bittersweet listening yeah. to that kind of thing or listening to her studio outtakes where she talks and she cusses and stuff like that. I brought an LP over oh, yeah. of like a, a live jam session where her and people are talking and cussing and telling dirty jokes. Really? It's interesting, yeah. See, so it, imagine like you're listening to her do a version of Strange Fruit, right? Yeah. And she's like drunk or something or on drugs and you're I, like, man, so you got this amazing message like in this song, right? With the racism and everything yeah. else, but you're... You're completely fucked up on but substances you, but you, while you're doing it. You got to think maybe maybe the racism inherent in that song caused her to want to drink so bad, sure. and she's singing it like a torch song kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I I purposely cannot listen to that song anymore because it it's just so it it it's one of those things that that is so true and it, it hits me right here and it makes me sad. Really? Yeah. It's a it's it's a hard hitting song, but it depresses me. Yeah. What yeah. do you like about jazz? I started out liking, uh, let's say, uh, pre-war gospel and also prison songs and field haulers, you know, when they were working in the fields and they'd rattle off something and they'd repeat it because a lot of uh, life was went into that. I don't like a lot of, well, I do like polished jazz, like Brubeck and stuff like that because it's just... Mm. Because musicianship it, 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 is just killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like, I also like free improv and syncopation kind of thing. And you know, like, uh, did you ever like jazz to meet girls? Be honest. I, you know, maybe a couple times, but most of the girls <laughs> that I've known in my life weren't real big jazz yeah. people. A lot of guys that I knew are really into jazz. It's it, weird. We were talking on the way over here about how. It's like, is this an appropriate topic for us to talk about? Because neither one of us are like experts or encyclopedias on jazz. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I want to know. I have this disease called I want to know a lot about something. So what I'll do is I'll buy, I'll buy records, I'll buy DVDs, I'll buy books on the subject, but right. I won't read them. Yeah. I have probably, I don't know, I probably have like 10 books about jazz, but yeah. Yeah, I've read maybe three of them, four of yeah, them. Yeah, just that's, that's the way it is with me. I mean, I've got... Every single, I have about four or five books on Otis Redding, and I've read them all for some reason. But the compendiums on jazz, and there's just huge books. And yeah. it's, it's scary. I know. I was in Chicago a year ago um, last week, and um, Jazz Record Mart is one of the most amazing places ever. Like, did as far did as you buy anything to bring bought back? Bought a lot of stuff. About like 200 bucks, 250 bucks worth of books and LPs and stuff. Okay. And, um, you know, I love it. It's always a learning experience for me because I'm not an encyclopedia of jazz. So yeah. even even the guys I like a lot, you know, it's like I, I I find records of theirs I didn't. I mean, I have all like I have everything cold all everything Coltrane, everything Thelonious, everything uh-huh. Miles, you know. But then there'll be some random Cannonball Adderley thing that I yeah. didn't realize existed, and I have to get it or something. And you know, it's always a good learning experience. But that store, man, you could you could spend all day and thousands and thousands of dollars there. But I bought two books. I bought one on about impulse, um, and another one about John Coltrane. And I haven't did read you, either did one. You, was of them. it the one called the house that train built? Yeah. Impulse. Yeah. yeah. I got that. I haven't yeah. read it, but I got it. <laughs> yeah. That's the impulse book, like uh-huh. all about it. And 
I, I got like 10 pages into it on the plane and then I just put my headphones on and listened to like Wilco or something <laughs> like something that was not jazz, you know, and you know, I wish I had gotten more into Wilco. There is this not girl, too late. There, there, I know there's this girl that I've had a crush on since high school. Mm-hmm. Hi, Michelle. Um, that, and I, I talk to her very infrequently now. Um, my, my phone doesn't work. My phone's off, but she made me a mix CD with a couple Wilco songs on it. And yeah. It was great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's one called a song called She's a Jar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. But anyway, um, yeah. Uh jazz. So I remember how I got into jazz, not that you asked. How did you, how did you get into jazz? <laughs> <laughs> so in 1999, I was um my so my so my grandmother on my dad's side was a was a jazz singer. Uh, okay. And I don't know if she was ever really all that well known. She was from Did uh, she record? I you know what I got I need to find out because I'd be interested in hearing her stuff if she did. But she was uh, she played clubs I know a lot and okay. and and in the greater Wisconsin area. Um, so she was you know it was like uh, something she was into. So I always heard it around and stuff when I was a kid. But um, the uh, in 1999 I was in St. Louis of all places at Vintage Vinyl. And I was there visiting Vintage Vinyl is a pretty famous record store in St. Louis. They're still around. Um, and so I was in St. Louis. I was there because I was working at a record label at the time and we were doing like a promotional tour. And I was standing across the street. I remember there was a Starbucks and I'm standing across the street and there's like a monument to Miles Davis. And it says, you know, born in St. Louis and, you know, 19, whatever, whenever Miles is born, like in the, like, or like the 1910s sometimes, I think. Um, and you know, Hey, this is where miles is from. Blah, 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 blah. So it's a little statue monument thing. And I realized I'm across you from a record store. So I go, oh, fuck it. Well, I'm going to go buy something miles Davis. Right. And Hey, I'm in his town, you know, yeah. and like I'm 23. About time I got sophisticated. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I go in and I buy kind of blue. Okay. And you still have it. Yeah. Yeah. I still Did you look it. it up? Whether it's the, what is it? There's a, a way to look up if it's the original four. Uh, it's a CD. What's oh, a CD. Yeah. Right? About the CD. Yeah. Cause this is at the time where there was, we were slung between, um, you know, kind of people were starting to figure out MP3s and stuff like that. So okay. people were still buying CDs and ripping them and all that kind of stuff, you know. But anyways, so for me, that was that was like discovering the tomb of like, you know, Tutacon or something. I mean, it was like that was like a big fucking deal like, yeah. to me the first time I played Your first that. listen, yeah. Yeah, the opening notes are just like, you know, just, man. And I mean, what's funny is now, like in retrospect, I still, I get why people go, oh God, kind of blue again, you know, or, you know, people, yeah. people kind of poo poo it a little bit now, but it, you know what? Find me a record list that doesn't have it in the top five or 10 LPs of yeah. all time. You know, you see a lot of hipsters that are into jazz and they say something like, uh, there was uh, one call in jazz show that said, okay, you can request any song. Just I'll deny your request. If, if you want to hear, uh, moaning. Oh, really? I guess that's moved into the hierarchy of of, of hipsterness now. Yeah, no, uh, I don't understand that. No. So, but you know, from there, anyways, it just kind of expanded out to Coltrane, especially. I'm a huge. I, I really like Coltrane. Everything Coltrane. So, Dear Old Stockholm is one of my favorite songs of all time. I got into Coltrane. His his wackiness before I got into his standards. Oh, really? The first thing I heard of his was uh, Ascension. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And um, I just sat in my room, was very air conditioning, just off the park in San Francisco, and put it on, and it just blew my fucking mind. I right. listened from beginning to end, and I was, what happened? Yeah. What the hell happened? And then the next one I got was Love Supreme. Yeah. And Which even that, if you like, 
if you think about where John was in his head when he made that record, yeah, even that's pretty wacky when you think about it. Yeah, and it's weird. I'm I I'm not a religious person in the least. Oh, but that record. But that record, jeez, make you think about everything. Yeah. I know. I that it's it's so strange because it's it's in other kinds of music. So you know, you always give me a hard time because I came out of punk rock, right? So um, of, you know what, I. I never got into punk, so I talk shit because I I knew some people that grew up and said they were into punk, and they were just tar- uh, t- terrible people. I don't know. I, I, What's it have to do with me exactly? I don't know. You know, I kind of <laughs> like there's this okay. This one guy that I knew yeah. since high school, he was into The Cure, and okay. you like The Cure, yeah. But he when he got he got into punk and. He was. I saw him one time on on his uh, on his porch, and he was going like, "Dad." I go, "Yeah." What are you listening to? It's a punk band. It's called Choss UK. Choss UK, as opposed to Chaos. UK. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. that's uh, you know that probably ruined all of punk for me. Yeah, that, I mean, I can understand that, I guess, but I mean, that's that's a pretty small thing to. Let you know, it some ruin. people actually considered Elvis Costello punk. Well, of course. Yeah, and I mean, then Bow Wow Wow, punk. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Adam and the Ants. Yeah. To me, that that I like that kind of punk. Yeah. But, you know, I listened to Dead Kennedys, didn't really get into it. Uh, Crass, I don't mind. I don't like anarcho-punk, even though Crass is decent. I, I don't like patchouli. <laughs> yeah. You don't like the pseudo-hippie punk? No. I, God, I can't. I, TSOL, maybe. Yeah, that's a little different. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, punk's not... I'm not politi- There's not just one kind, you know what I mean? There's I'm not like a political person. At all? I'd like I'd like to say no and Yeah, I I don't think I am, which is wrong because everyone needs to stand for something. What, what do they say? You, what do you they stand say for? if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. I don't I don't stand for much. I mean, individual rights, but I'm not like a civil liberties kind of person. You know, I have a hard time talking about it because I'm not informed. I don't know about, I don't know anything about local politics or or But do you wish you were? Politics. I kind of do, but I think, oh, all that headspace I can use learning more about jazz or something. <laughs> I guess you can know a lot about politics and jazz at the same time. But uh. I mean, if I, I would think if you really gave a shit, you'd go and to city council meetings and be a part. I mean, you're from yeah. Santa Ana, which, I mean, Santa Ana is always rife with political turmoil. Yeah. So I, I would think if you were truly interested in it, you'd be involved. Maybe maybe it's because I'm not. And I feel bad because I know so many civic-minded people like yourself. My uh, my cousin's uh, boyfriend, he's he's into politics in Garden Grove. Um, and then I have a, another friend who's a city manager... Somewhere. What makes you? What makes you think I'm? I'm civic-minded. I mean, you work with the homeless. Your job. That's your. Not, it's not just your job, but you, it's on your mind because you post about it and you have opinions on it and you're well versed in it. Yeah, but well, I mean, I, I guess there's some truth to that. But I, I mean, I, I. Yeah, I don't know how much that ties into like my being engaged really strongly with with like local politics or anything i mean i have to be to some degree about well, that around that one topic look, yeah yeah so it's part of my job which is maybe worse than not caring <laughs> you it's know? not fake you care yeah. you care about the uh, about homeless topics and whatnot I'm, i mean the the last uh the last gal you had on uh she was well informed too and she you know you kind of invited her into your world of uh homeless issues and remember you you said you went down by the uh the bridge and whatnot yeah and um i don't know i just 
I think I'm void of opinion. That's one subject I'm void on. I, I couldn't tell you about anything going on in local politics or anything like that, really. Yeah. Well, I, it makes me feel kind of stupid. But, but again, if you really cared. If I really, you're so, right. Maybe I really don't care. Right. Is it, okay, is it okay not to care? Sure. I mean, there's no, I mean. Like, for, okay, like the so, Bell and Sebastian song, is it wicked, is it not, wicked to not to care? Um, so for me, no. For you, yes. I mean, for me, I, would, I, I, need, I need to feel that level of engagement with what's going on in some things. And not, but not everybody else does. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, because I, I, got, I got over that whole concept of like, there was a time when, and I mean, some, some people who know me might still think I'm like this. But, you know, there was a time where I, there was definitely a level of like pretension around the idea that what, you don't know what's going on. Like, what's the matter with you? You're not like well-informed or well-versed. I mean, if you're opting to watch reality TV every day instead of like at least taking a dab at the news in some yeah, respect, yeah, yeah. then yes, I think that, I think that's a problem. <clears throat> but, you know, if if you're somebody who is a decent person living a decent life and you just not, you know, you're not out protesting everything all the time, I mean, that's that's your prerogative yeah. too. I mean, and I, look, it's tough because I made the case on the last podcast about, you know, I think people in communities need to be more engaged on what goes on around them so that they can, you know, be informed and yeah. take stands on things. Kind of like but you don't have the right to bitch about something if you're not doing anything active. Kind of, but at the same time, like, who am I to sit here and say that that's right for, that's right for me so it's right for everybody? You know, it, and it's tough. There are some things that are basically right for everybody. And I, and I know there might be a fine line, but it's like getting out of the house and doing something, yeah. f- something for someone other than yourself is good for everyone. Well, I, I will agree with you there because we're a community and your decisions affect me and my decisions affect you. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the reality of it. I mean, we just, for some reason, have a really hard time seeing past the end of our own noses and not realizing that, you know, the decisions we make affect other people. One thing that kind of put me off uh, about getting into politics or uh, social issues is when I, I went to school at San Francisco State and uh, going there, everyone had to fight for something. Everyone had to wave some sort of flag. And that bugged me because it seemed if you wave a flag, they'll have an opinion on that. If you wave it against the flag, they'll have an opinion on that. And you're damned if you do. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just uh, afraid of coming across as ignorant or something like that. Yeah. Maybe I, I feel older than most people. I, I think I was a couple years older than my roommates, except for Mark. He, he, he was older than me. And they always had their young opinions and shouted loudly and uh, waved banners. And I just... But I think we appropriately give some provision for younger people to have like that level of energy and involvement and stuff. It's because, kind I mean, of that's refreshing how, to see that. Right, but, but exactly. To see their ignorance, it's kind of like I, I, I kind of get off on, on uh, pointing out their ignorance. But then again, I'm not doing anything about it myself. Yeah. So what right do I have? Uh, like I'm a professional bitcher. <laughs> that's, I mean, there's worse things to be a professional at. That's that's true. <clears throat> so you really like to read, don't you? I like to read books a lot. Yeah. What, I, what are you reading right now? Right now I am starting a couple books. Um, I'm a big fan of Philip Roth. Um, and I've read about 13 of his books so far. And I just found one that I've been, look, I've been looking all over for it. And it was, it's the slimmest volume. It's, it's like one quarter of an inch. It's called The Breast. It's a story about... A breast that comes alive. Go, go figure. And um, I'm also. Uh, I just got from the bookman. I got uh, Under the Volcano by Malcolm Malcolm Lowry. Okay. So I'm reading those two next. So you've read 13 Philip Roth books so far. 
It's quite a few, actually. Yeah, he's got plenty. I mean, I'm, I'm reading most of his stuff that's about him being a professor or being a reader or a lecturer. I like all that stuff. I'd be interested to borrow some of that from you, actually. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I've got them all in one stack in, in, in my room. So other than Philip Roth, favorite authors? John Fonte. Yeah. Um, his son, You're, Dan Fonte. Yeah, I was about to say, his son, too, right? Don't you like him? Yep, Dan, I like him a lot. Uh, uh, Is his son still writing? Yeah, his son's still writing. Yeah, something wrong, something's wrong with his health or something. He oh, posted really? something to Facebook saying something like, I'm keeping on or something like that. Do you, you're a big Ask the Dust Ask the Dust guy? Yeah. yeah. Did you see the movie? Yeah, I, 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 I've seen it. I watch it all the time, it seems. I like it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Salma Hayek's boobs. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about the, the movie Factotum? You like that? I haven't seen it. Come on. It's, uh, what's his name? Um uh, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you struggle on the vine here on this one. It's the Bukowski book, yeah, I know but the the guy, what's his Dylan? Matt Dylan? Yeah, yeah, Matt Dylan is the main guy. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. And then there's the one called because I like because like with the Bukowski stuff, like I'm not a, so I I was a, like a lot of punk rockers and people in my generation. I was really into him in my early twenties and oh, my teenage God. years. Um, had every single book. Still have a lot of them. Um, you know, still look at some of. You know, some. I mean, I live my life on one of his poems. You know, it's like, or I always say that "Genius of the Crowd" is like one of my. Yeah, you're shaking your head. You're nodding. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh, always uh, that's always one of the ones I always go there. Yeah, that's how I, that's that's the tool I use to identify like the people I want to spend time with or be uh, close to. Right? It's like because he talks in that about it's basically about fake versus genuine. That's yeah. that's what that ends up coming down to. I think. So, anyways, I've um, got a couple recordings of that. Different recordings of yeah. Him. There's a really good one on YouTube of him doing it, a live one. It's super good. What's the one, the really funny Bukowski poem where he talks about getting older, and he said he no longer writes his own poems. He keeps a like a a naked teenage boy who he whips and feeds raw no meat idea. to write his poems. <laughs> I don't know the name. So yeah, Bukowski like him a lot. A lot of things he recommended I read. Hemingway. Um, uh, Aren't we both? I mean, I know I am. Aren't you a Henry Miller guy too? Yeah. I, I, I think it was two years ago I became more of one because I read about four of his Which ones ass. did you read? The Rosie Crucifixion, Sexus, Plexus, Nexus, yeah. uh, and then Paris 1942, which yep. is supposed to be the, the fourth book of the series. Uh, Crazy Cock. Uh, Moloch. So wait, have you read Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn? I read Capricorn, but I haven't... Whoa, weird. Wrong, wrong way. I know. I, I, I've, I just recently found a book that had three things in it. The Tropic of Colossus of Marusi, the Tropic of Cancer, and the Tropic of Capricorn. So Colossus of Marusi is actually my favorite book of his. Okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. It's, God, it's, it's a daunting-looking book. Well, that's because there's three books in it. I have an old copy of Colossus of Marusi that a friend of mine in Connecticut gave me, and it's, it's not a big book. So mm. it's definitely... So what happens to you in reading? Pardon? Like, what, why, do you, why do you like reading so much? <sighs> it, it allows me to relax. Uh... I used to read, when I was younger, the reason I read is to get more ideas from my own writing. Um, you still write now? I, I do, but it's few and far between. I mean, I wrote a lot more, and I wrote a lot when I was in high school, and then junior college, and then college, especially because that was my major, is poetry. Um, so I wrote a lot of that, and then I started trying to do short stories, but yeah. 
I, what I do now is kind of like creative journalism. I mean, creative journaling, sorry. Creative journaling. What does that mean? Snippets of your day remembered later, you know. Um, like, oh, today I went to Dave's. Uh, the stifling heat, the open windows. I'll describe things. And if later on in a month I'll look back on it, I'll go, oh, that's really good. So archiving, basically. Yeah, yeah. Archiving that may be fruitful at a later date. It's kind of the purpose of this podcast. So you're a collector. Yeah, I mean, I guess. that's. I mean, Erica, who was on the show last, was like, so what what exactly is the point of doing this? (laughs) And didn't mean it like in a mean way or anything. It was just like, so what are you trying to accomplish? And I just, all I'm trying to do is accomplish, all I'm trying to accomplish is archiving conversations with people I know. Well, you take that to the nth degree and it seems like you'd need like, terabytes and gigabytes and googleplexes of storage to archive everything and but it's not about archiving everything it's no. just about archiving some things you know this is a hell of a lot more comfortable than i thought it would be i could do i could do this forever i could just uh, but I, I would get boring after a while <clears throat> i don't know i don't know about that i was really looking forward to having you on the show i think it's been good what else about books how many do you like still collect do you still own a lot yeah i got shit ton of books at home i've got one whole wall of my room is nothing but bookcases another whole wall is nothing but bookcases and half a wall is bookcases and i've got stuff in the garage and stuff in the front room and stuff packed away and it's i need to pare down yeah i definitely you know i I took about 12 books into bookman the other day and i got like 10 bucks for them. They gave me five books back that they wouldn't take, and they gave me 10 bucks, so I just got a couple more books. Do you think people still read enough? Or, or let me actually... Enough. Let me, <laughs> let me, yeah, I don't know about it, but let me, let me try to figure out the way to... Say. Do you think... Do you have a lot of friends that read? Yeah. You do? Yeah, I do. Uh, anywhere from people who I... I don't, I, I, I don't want to sound like stuck up or anything, but when I say, when I say my level uh, means they read uh, thinking people's books, not necessarily a translation of Odysseus or anything like that, or the Odyssey, <laughs> but I, I mean people who read learned kind of books or people who have read Moby Dick or have tried reading Finnegan's Wake or something like that, but don't just read that. Then I have other friends, I, I don't want to say girls, but you know they, they read vampire books and Harry Potter books, which but are fine. But there's still value in that, right? I mean, well, it's sure, still reading. For them, that's yeah. fine. But to me, someone who reads nothing but romance novels and that is... You know that's fine for them, but not for me. It's just yeah. Not I think a good balance is a good idea, right? I mean, for people. Well, would a balance? Books. I mean, I've I'll never read a romance novel like sure. that. I mean, I've read Lolita, but that's a I've been sorry. It's a it's a odd romance. It's an odd romance uh, yeah. kind of thing. But I'm not going to go buy any bodice ripping novel and read it. Sure, but I mean, like you could read your jazz books, right? So books about you know compendiums to jazz. I, I, read, and, I read But then you could read shit. Philip Roth, too. I, I read Archie comics sometimes. I mean, <laughs> I, I'll read... I'll read, like, Newt Hampson, and then I'll read... I don't know, uh, porn... Oh, John Holmes' biography. <laughs> I'll, I'll read a lot of things. Yeah. But, I don't know. 
I'd, I'd like to say nothing that Oprah suggested, but I read The Color Purple and I read The Sound and the Fury, and those are her, in her book club. So. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think there's anything re- wrong with reading like New York Times bestseller books. Some of them are good. Well, that's true. Just because it's successful to everyone doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, I'm reading this book right now called Infinite Home, and it's taking me forever because I'm just, I just like, I'm not totally sold on it. And Is it fiction? Yeah, it's about um, a woman who owns a brownstone in Brooklyn. And she rents it out to, there's four houses and she rents it out to different personalities. And like each, each mini chapter is about something going on in one of their lives, you know, and they're all kind of starting to tie together and stuff. And I mean, it's, it's an okay book. The author's really, really young and it's, I mean, it's interesting, but it's like, it's not doing anything for me. And how I found out about it is I'm on like Powell's books, email daily list where I get the daily dose where they yeah. send you a review of a book. And I like Powell's. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, well, yeah, everyone, I think anyone who's ever been there yeah. or kind of is knowledgeable about what Powell's is, is a fan, but, um, you know, so I mean, I saw it on there one day and was like, Oh fuck it. I need a new book to read. I'll just order this. And you know, it's pretty rare that I'll do that, but every once in a while I'll, I'll read a blurb and I'll go, yeah. I'm buying this hardcover book that just came out. Usually you'll save like 12 bucks by waiting a year, right. but uh, what the hell? You ever read ebooks on your iPad? A lot less than I used to. I hoard them. Yeah. But I love the smell of books exactly. and I love them in my hands. And I, I don't know. I bought the Steve Jobs biography, the first one I ebook I bought. And now it's. How like, appropriate. Yeah. And. I don't know. It's weird. I, something to come. I bought. It's weird. I, I I'm a big fan of William Volman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's written about forty, fifty books. They're always huge books. And I bought one his last one as an ebook, and it was like twenty eight bucks as an ebook. Whoa! Because his well, it was about six hundred pages, but still, his, still that's a lot his, of money. Yeah, yeah. So there's you like that visceral feeling of holding a book in your hands. Yeah. Uh, it's, Me too. I usually, I don't know. I think reading hardcovers are a little bit more difficult because I don't like to crack the You may not be able to hear it, but David like is that. looking at a book in front of the mic. A book Mur- he brought me to read. Murakami. I like Murakami a lot. Yeah. I've read, I've read all of his stuff except for the latest release, which was an one of his first stories that they re-released, Pinball. Okay. Um, and also, I think A Wild Sheep Chase, I haven't read. Do books help you escape depression at all? Very much so. Very much so. That's plain and simple it takes me away from myself um do you feel like if you gave up if you were able to fight back depression you'd read less no i think i'd read more i'd i'd read more voraciously i need that oh this is helping me give me more give me more that kind of thing i have a book called the noonday demon and atlas of depression mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet <laughs> I, I i bought it from costco like <laughs> my grandfather actually bought it for me um and it's, so you've been sitting on it for 15 years? Yeah. It's it's about depression and all that stuff. And I read a couple pages here and there, but I'm kind of thinking if I read it, it's kind of like, oh, I feel like shit and I'm sad. Let's throw on a Smiths album. You know, it'll just make me... I've been kind of listening to the Smiths a little bit lately. Really? You're Which stuff? Earlier stuff? Or? All of it. I have everything. Okay. So I'll just... Yeah, I've been. It's well, I don't have everything, but I have like a hundred songs worth spread a bunch, spread across a bunch of albums. So I just hit um, random and just. I was listening to a lot of Smiths last night. I was looking up uh, studio outtakes for different albums uh, on on YouTube, and I was getting I was getting my uh, twelve inch singles together to look at them because I love the the art. 
yeah. that the Smiths and Morrissey had, had done. And I, I found I have a, a, a bootleg album, which is pretty cool. I'll bring it over here one of these days for you, for you to listen. That'd be cool. So how was this experience for you being on the show? Uh, it's nice. It's, it's relaxing and it's no pressure at all. I don't know why. Um, I, I, I'm going to listen to it again when it comes out, but it, I just, I don't like the sound of my voice and I'm probably going to sit there and go, God, you're rambling. You're rambling. Who, whose life is so boring that they're going to click on this and go, oh, I'm going to listen to the whole thing. It's I think a, you'd be surprised. That there's weirdos out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a form of voyeurism, right? Yeah, yeah that's a, this is a fetish I don't want to, it's like um, Woody Allen said, I wouldn't want to be a member of a club who would have someone like me as a member. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, that about does it. Do you have any parting words before we split? Uh, no, have a good have a good day. I don't know. I'm I'm baffled by this whole whole thing. But you, thank thank you. I appreciate it. This is fun, and and I don't say that ever. This is nice. Thanks for being on the show. I appreciate yes. it. Yes, and and uh, thank you, Sarah, for making the dinner we're gonna have tonight. <laughs> yes, it's gonna be delicious. It's all pumpkin theme for the Walking Dead premiere tonight. Oh, is that how you tricked me over here? Yeah, we're watching the Walking Dead later. God damn. I've I've seen it once in Arizona and no, sorry, yeah. not a fan. I'm gonna be watching the Puppy Bowl or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking dead. <laughs> Thank you, David, for being on the show. You can follow him on various forms of social media. His name is at Fairbrook, F A I B R O O K. As always, you can follow me at DG After Dark on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, the show is posted at livingminimal.com. You can check it out there. You can subscribe to iTunes and Stitcher. So thank you very much. Next month on the show, I think Dan Smith, the tattoo artist, is going to be on. We've been talking about that, so I'm hoping he can come on if he has the time. I know he's a busy guy. Um, so looking forward to that. And then in December, we are going to do the show about my mother with my brother and I. So that will be interesting. As always, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. If you have any questions, please feel free to drop me a line via social media or off the blog. And I will talk to you all soon. Thanks. Thank you.